0: So let's jump in right to head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11. Yes, let's do it. Uh, can you get, I, I had three questions here on head coverings. Can you give your opinion on the current uh, day application of the, refer, of the references to head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11? And then another person asked a question, uh, verse 4 says, every man who prays, or can you read that? Yeah, okay, mine's a little small. I had a lot of stuff to put on these slides. Uh, every man who prays or prophesies with his head, and prophesies should be taken there in the general rather than the specific sense, p- proclaims. Uh, with his head covered dishonors his head. Is this verse referring to public worship settings only? Does it apply to all situations? If a man serving in the army, riding on a bike, working construction, is he free to offer prayers with his head covered? Well, let, let's look at the passage. And let's see, because it really we're focused on a particular passage 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So let's kind of walk through that, 3 to 15. First, Paul sets forth the principle, which is the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The, The principle is of covenant headship. God has designed relationships covenantally and so there's a covenant relationship between the Father and the Son. I, I do want to say we should take Christ there in the sense of his incarnate mediatorial work as a second Adam. Christ is not subordinate to the Father eternally. There's massive theological problems and, and we, if we go down that road. But But certainly as the incarnate Christ... He then is, is under the authority then of the, of the Father in a covenant way. And likewise, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman. The principle he's teaching here, and he's going to preach it, in a, teach it in a local context, is that we're to positively and cheerfully embrace, uh, really two things. God's, the differences between male and female by God's design, the differences between the sex. I, I'm, I'm training myself not to say gender anymore because the, the, the culture has ruined the word gender. Sex, the designed male-female design of God, and then also the covenant relationships. That's the principle. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. Uh, the term head is very interesting. Kephale is a Greek word. It could have a number of meanings. It could mean the source. Here it does not mean the source because the source of a woman is not man. I mean, in the sense of, you go, well, she came out of his rib. Yeah, but God made her. Man did not make the woman. God made the woman. The point being, the issue in this passage, and it comes out later on, is authority. A covenant relationship with respect to authority. That is what Paul, the principle he's teaching. Uh, And then he addresses the aberrant passages, uh, practices in the Corinthian church with respect to that principle. And here's where he says, but it's really small on my computer for a man is to for a man to pray or prophesy with his head covered dishonors his head i think his head there there's a bit of a wordplay it's not his own head he's dishonoring it's christ is his covenant head and so he says for him to pray or prophesy with his head covered dishonors his covenant head that is christ but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head now that's her husband since it is a, a the same as if her head was shaven. Uh, If a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut uh, cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head, verse 6. Now that is the aberrant practices that he is addressing in light of the principle. Boy, this is really small on my computer. I'll just look up here. So he goes on and provides the rationale for it. So, so, so why, why would you say that, Paul? Well, he says, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Since man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And so again, there's this covenant order that he's describing. Now in the man's case, he says, long hair is a disgrace for man as nature teaches. Now there's a context for that. We know, and we know from, one of the biggest things we know is from sculptures. Uh, and, and one of the things that rich people do is they would do marriage sculptures. And, and we actually do know a fair amount about some of these cultural practices from that time. Uh, Paul Barnett says, uh, well, uh, the length of hair denoted a person to be a man or a woman. So when, it says, when Paul says by nature there, I don't believe he's saying by creation... Uh, there are people. I mean, actually, we, we don't know that Jesus had long hair. Yeah, uh, those pictures aren't him. But I mean, I I think there probably were times in the Bible history where Abraham. Probably, I don't know. But but it, that, that, that's not the point. The point is in that social construct in which they were living. When he says nature, I do think here he means the the the, the non-redemptive culture around you. Uh, uh, teaches these things. And so he says, uh, uh, the length of the hair denoted a person to be a man or woman. And so it's Paul's concern is to preserve among believers a visible distinction consistent with the culture between men and women. I, I do think that's what's going on there. That culture, hairstyle, absolutely told you whether you were male or female. And Paul says, well... You should honor, we're going to honor two things in this respect. One is the difference between men and women, males and female, on air and gunae. And we're going to honor the covenantal relationships of covenant headship that God has designed. Now, a woman shall not wear her, a man's, oh, oh. so Deuteronomy 22, five says this. This is my Law. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does this is an abomination before God. Men and women are to look different. They, they are different. They're to act differently. They're to, and, and dress is a pretty big deal. So that, that's, that's part of the Old Testament law that, 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 tells us these things. And then the man in the Old Covenant, I do think that's the civil law of the Old Covenant. But that, that, the same idea that Paul is teaching that with respect to hair length, you should do man hair and you should do woman hair. It's the same as in the Old Testament. You wear man clothes and not women clothes. Uh, Now, women, uh, uh, her head covering is a symbol of authority because of the angels. Now, it's interesting. By the way, this is just a really difficult passage, by the way. Uh, The Greek does not say symbol of authority. It says it is her authority because of the angels. And you're going, what does that mean? Well, let's just say uh this is not this is a hard passage. But uh, a natural reading of the text would say uh the woman should have head covering because this is her authority. I, I think the idea he's getting at there is that she exercises her authority within her covenant setting, within her within within the, the covenantal role that's God given her. And, and under the male headship, she exercises her authority, and she manifests that. Uh, what about the angels? Well, I, I, again, I, I, I wouldn't be burned at the stake over this interpretation. I, I don't know anybody who would. I think what he's saying to, because of the angel... Oh, by the way, let me just say about 1 Corinthians. You know, one of the challenges of 1 Corinthians is we have the answers, but not the questions. So we have to play a little Jeopardy here. You know, what is... Um, uh, Paul is writing, 1 Corinthians, actually, I, I think the doctrinal section at the beginning of 1 Corinthians is every bit as important as the book of Romans. It's just a really rich theology at the beginning. And then he starts dealing with some practical problems in the city of Corinth, and he, we, we don't know, exact. we infer from what he says is the solution or the correction what the problem was. And so when we read a statement like this, uh, I presume the Corinthians knew what he was talking about. But it's very hard for us to know what he means because of the angels. But I will tell you what I think. The most likely answer is because the angels are offended when God's created order is not maintained. Now, this is the kind of passage where if you're saying, I want you to speak with absolute authority on every word, I'm going to disappoint you. But the message of the passage is crystal clear. We are to live and we are to respect the created difference between the male and the female as God made them, and we're to respect and honor God's covenantal ordering. God is, Christ. God is ahead of Christ, uh, Christ is ahead of man, man is ahead of woman. Uh, that doesn't mean that women don't have a relationship with Christ. There's an authority structure that you probably, this is not your first time hearing, this is God's design. We are to positively manifest that and embrace that and a woman is going to wear a symbol of authority. It's her, she exercises her authority under the covenantal headship that was manifested by the head covering. Now we know, we believe, from sculptures of the time, they depict women with long hair bundled in a cloth cover, especially the wedding sculptures. And that's when rich people had those sculptures made usually. And so the idea is that if a married woman is not wearing her hair up and bundled, she's telling people she's single. I really do think if you're a Christian in America and you're married, wear a wedding ring. If I, if you're in a bar, which... I, I, only, uh, you shouldn't be frequenting them at least, and you're, you're, and you're not wearing your wedding ring, that's a cultural symbol of our time that has meaning. You're a married person. Wear your mar- wedding ring. I, I think that's a very good analogy. Uh, so God's fundamental order of relationships is to be clearly reflected in Christian worship. Uh, it's David Pryor, I think he's right. It is important what we look like in public worship. Now, what a statement that is! Now, this is uh, going to be very challenging to many people in our generation. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things going on in our society today—I don't have to tell you—is that there's an attack against God, the Creator, and and and, it, and and it comes a lot of a lot of it's at these two issues: uh, gender, what's you know, sex, male or female, and uh, gender—you know—identities. And covenant relationships, marriage, and the way that the home is to be done. And we're living in a generation, the previous generation rebelled against Christ. Well, that's a done deal. Now the generation is rebelling against God, the creator. Who does he think he is to tell me who I am? Well, the answer is he thinks he's God. But we're living in a time, and one of my real beefs is a lot of evangelical churches, including churches in our denomination, Instead of just cheerfully living out the biblical design and just doing what the Bible says, we think that we're being, we, there's a cultural accommodationist tendency. And so there's a, you know, we, 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 we're doing, instead of just naturally living out biblical manhood and biblical femininity, biblical marriage, there's a hat to be one of the big, it, it's, it's been in our presbytery. A lot of the PCA churches in our presbytery would have a woman come up during the service and read the scripture before the sermon. Never a layman, always a lay woman. To me, it's kind of weird. Uh, So the pastor, before he goes up in the pulpit, a woman comes out of the pews. She comes up and she reads the passage, and then he goes up and preaches. Now, what do I think is going on there? We're saying to the world, we're not fundies. You know, we're not allowed to ordain women, but, you know, we want you to know we're hip with you. That is the last thing our generation needs. Our generation needs us just to honor God's word in a positive, obedient sense. And, and I confess, I raised a major stink at this at the Presbytery. And it became a major stink. and uh, Because I think it's a big issue. The little girls growing up in Second Presbyterian Church when they're 18 years old, they ought not to say, I have no idea what a woman is. Little boys grow up in our church when they're 18 years old, should not go, I have no idea what manhood's about. They should say instead, yeah, I've lived around it my whole life. In the home and in the church, there's the men of the church. So you can tell who they are. By the way, women, no, I'm not going to give you a list of clothing you may and you may not wear. But look like girls, okay? Look like girls. Boys, and that's a, and that's a cultural thing. We have cultural things. Boys look like boys. And then respect male headship when those things. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, you, you say you haven't answered the question yet. Well, no, but you've got to get there. <laughs> so Paul's conclusion, so the man should not pray, proclaim with his head covered, but a woman should. What does that mean? That God's design of headship should be honored. That we should present ourselves in keeping with God's creation and re- relational design. Uh, Paul is seeking to uphold the, creation, the creator's creation of the polarities of human sexuality. Amen. I saw a sign with some Ivy League woman, young lady, and she had a curse word down with the binary, which is a way of saying down with God, because God's the one who's organized Genesis 1 in binaries heaven and earth, life and death, night and dark, light and darkness, male and female. The binary is God. And the Christian people need to say, you know, we like God. He's our God. He is the Lord. We're going to obey his word. And the binary is very important. We're to respect that. We should not act as if there's no interdependence between the man and the woman. Well, by the way, in the middle of there, verse 11, he says, uh, but we're also interdependent. The man is from woman, woman's from man. And it's true. We, we function together. We certainly do. Paul affirms women's participation in worship so long as it's in keeping with the creation and covenant Order. Uh, it's very interesting because he says here talks about women prophesying in church. So people go, "Does that mean women preachers?" Well, no, because First Timothy two eleven to fourteen makes it crystal clear: I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. That's the whole thing. But what it does say is we shouldn't go the other direction. That when a woman is being a woman and she's not trying to usurp maleness and she's not trying to rebel against God, she's embracing. And I do think it's that your cultural setting, for the most part, what femininity is, um, and she's operating under covenant headship, come on up and pray during the prayer meeting. You know, women, you're allowed to come up. I mean, if you say, Brendan, won't you ever pick me? Ask him. Uh, and uh, women sing. A woman can give an announcement. And so we, we don't have to go overboard but the whole idea of her covering her head is that she exercises her authority under the headship of her covenant head, is what Paul's saying. Now, let me answer the question finally. Okay, an issue today, again, is we, it's hard. First Corinthians is difficult because you don't know the questions. Uh, also, the particular cultural symbols that Paul is referencing in the Corinthian concept, namely with hairstyle and hair coverings, You don't see that being taught in the same way elsewhere in the Bible. I think we reasonably, very reasonably infer that his point is not the head coverings. I don't believe he's making a universal principle, therefore Christian women manifest femininity and covenant fidelity by wearing a a hair covering. Now, there are Christians who do, and I'm I'm not opposed to them doing so. But if you ask me, and this is really, I think, the well-considered view, which I also hold, Paul's point is not to say that head covering is how you do it. What he's saying is you have a cultural context. Wear your wedding ring. Dress femininely. But in your context, manifest male-female and the covenant headship order. I'm very persuaded that it's not about the particulars which were symbols in that culture. It's whatever it looks like in our culture. So I don't think that that passage... Mandates the wearing of head. Now there are Christians who disagree with that, and I, I'm fine with them. Particularly, I know it's out of zeal for the Lord, desire to honor His word. I, I'm. I i do not see much persuasive reason to believe that the that the particular here is the issue. Um, uh, David Jackson says the cultural symbols may change, but the principles do not. So how do we apply this? There's a difference between men and women. Men and women relate to each other distinctively. Our dress, appearance, and demeanor should reflect these differences and distinctions. Men and women worship and serve God with equal status, but in different ways. We're to embrace it. And again, I, 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 the children growing up in our church should know it. Even without us doing a seminar, and I'm not against us doing that. You know, what is a boy? What is a girl? It ought to be just the, the, the environment. They, I, was, I grew up in at Second Presbyterian Church. I know what a boy is. I know what a girl is. I know the difference between the two. Um, I don't think the burden lies on the particular cultural symbols, but the biblical principle. So getting back to the one question about the man, the issue, even with Paul, it's not whether you're in worship or you're riding a bike. The issue is whether you're in worship or riding a bike, do it as a man. Do it as an American culture male. Now, you know, there are I think we're in a culture that rewards us for pushing that. I think Christians should push back. There are clothing that, you know, that men wear that's our our society wants androgyny or it's the metrosexual, you know, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, And I think that in general, I'm not going to give you any particulars unless you're wearing like, you know, clingy girl pants, you know, and you're a boy. Uh, uh, Whether you're in worship or you're, in a construction site, be, Amer- be a boy there and look like a boy and, and do and, and what, what the cultural symbols are of maleness. I'll even go so far as this. Things like the man holding the door for the woman is a good thing for us to practice. Uh, I'm just taking the principle and applying it, and, and for women say, and I know why women say, "Well, if I, you know if I let you hold the door for me, that means I'm under your covenant authority." Well. You are. I mean, that's the, the, how's America doing with rejecting of all this stuff? Not well at all. I think Christians, you know, when a girl goes on a date with a guy, she, he ought to hold the door open for her. Because in, in our Anglo-Saxon heritage, at least, that's a reflection of, of the male-female relationships. Um, uh, as God designed men and women with complementary functions and relations, our appearance and demeanor should reflect that complementarity in ways that our culture will identify. Hope that's helpful for you.